Hello. Welcome to Salem the Podcast. We are your hosts and favorite Salem tour guides. My name is Sarah Black. And I'm Jeffrey Lilly. And we just recorded our first live show. Yay! Hold on, which one is it? Woo! <laughs> uh, so uh, for the 50-ish people who were there, thank you. That was that was awesome. It was such a cool experience. Yeah. I was super nervous leading up to this live show. Did not know what to expect, but uh, everyone came out dressed to the nines. The energy was incredible. Our haunted pepper cider was fabulous. It was really good. Not that I was expecting it to be anything but good, but... You don't know. Right. Pepper right. and cider. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe they'll make it a staple of... Uh, of far from the tree and, and then like have, maybe they'll start canning it and get a logo and that'd be cool. Right. I'm just going to put that out into the, into the, the, the ether. Al does listen. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so for those of you who haven't been keeping track, don't know, don't follow us on Instagram. Maybe this is the first podcast of ours you've ever listened to. Uh, we just did an episode live at far from the tree, uh, in Salem on the topic of prohibition. So Far From the Tree makes hard cider. They have an awesome tap room, perfect spot to do a live show. We discussed prohibition. We also sat down with the owner from Far From the Tree, Al Snape. And quick talk with him. Yeah, I did a quick little interview to kick off the show. We did have a little oopsie, though, a little hiccup. Hence why we are talking to you now. <laughs> we We didn't hit the record button for, like, the first, like, five minutes like we came in the music and we sat down it was amazing we did ah. a little intro thing we're cool great and then uh we're like let's bring up uh our guest and it's at that point that i was like oh hit the record button real Oopsie, quick that button is still <laughs> green thank goodness you noticed it because i didn't so i would have just gone on with the show and not even realized we've got a video of me actually pressing it so nice we'll check it out also we did get a lot or a lot of video of the live show and most of that's going to be going up on the patreon yep so if you're not subscribed and you want to see uh like actually see parts of the live show uh check out our patreon and, and jump on that bandwagon but yeah it was cool it was great it far exceeded our expect expectations the uh reception was really good We've never done anything like this before. I mean, yes, we give tours, and both you and I have talked about how we've done presentations in the mm -hmm. past, but this was a different dynamic. It was like we were talking to each other, but also talking to them at the same yeah. time. It was fun, it, and it, it felt sort of like what I always want this to be, right? Like, because that's what we try, we're talking to each other, but we're also talking to everyone who's listening, and to actually have those people in the room was a was a neat experience. So this is our first. Definitely won't be our last. Definitely not. We've got more in the works. No details on the dates or locations, but trust me, you will be the first to know. After after we know. After we know. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think we could probably do like what? Four a year or so, at least. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe more. Maybe less. Maybe less. <laughs> maybe less jeffrey says <laughs> it was there was a lot that went into it yeah. and everyone was dressed up people really did come dressed as you know they were in the 20s we had a costume contest or best dressed award we also played bingo so 
I think I did a shout out during the live show, but once again, huge thank you to one of our first listeners, Carlin. She took it upon herself to put together bingo cards. And on those cards were a bunch of sayings and statements and words that we traditionally say on these episodes. And as they came out of our mouths, people around the room marked them off and uh, we had a couple bingo winners. It was great. Yeah. So if I said uh, alcohol, exactly. If I mention England. Which you did. <laughs> off the bat, almost intentionally. Uh, what, what do you have? You got. Uh, I've got um, That's So Cool, which I don't know if I said that. Dude. <laughs> booze. Literally. Yeah. Propagate it was, narrative. Oh my gosh. Someone said that you, you got both those in the same sentence. I did. I did. Uh, so that was cool. So thank you, Carlin. These, these were uh, a lot of fun and, and a lot of other people had fun playing bingo with us. Maybe we can do that again at, at the next live show. Continue with the uh, good sale on the podcast bingo tradition. I don't know. We have traditions yeah. now. <laughs> we're uh, established. So again, thank you to everyone who came. Thank you uh, to Far From the Tree for hosting us. Uh, thank you for Roy, who is the events manager over there. Appreciate you uh, organizing and, and, and contacting us and setting all this up. Al Snape, who is the man behind the cider, as well as the bartenders that night who are pouring us our uh, wonderful haunted pepper. It was a night that we will surely never forget. Huzzah. Here, here something. So with that being said, we are going to dive right into the live show. Mm -hmm. Again, we did miss the first little intro, so apologies on that, but we got the bulk of the recording, so enjoy. Here we go. Do you have a special guest joining us? Please welcome the founder of Far From The Tree Cider, Al Snape. How's it going? Can you hear me okay? I think we're good. I think we're good. Can we hear it in the back? Very nice. There we go. You good. Can you just give us a quick test on that? Test. Al, have you ever <laughs> been on a podcast before? No. That makes I'm three of us. I'm very excited to be here. Wow, you guys look are awesome. You <laughs> are you excited? Yes, yes. Well, well thank I you again for having us hosting our very first live show. Um, to kick this whole thing off, you guys started... Far from the tree, cidery, cidery back in 2014, correct? Uh, yeah, it was almost at about 10 years, about 2013 we started, yeah, just pushing about 10 years this year. Congratulations, so, yeah. you, you and Happy your wife. Happy anniversary. Thank you, thank you. You and your wife, Denise, founded mm -hmm. the company, and can you tell us where Far from the Tree comes from, the name? Oh, yeah, so the name, I, I love the idea of thinking of the apple. Falls from the tree, and you know that phrase, you know, oh, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. You know that guy's a great dancer. He's like his parents. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. I like the imagery of thinking about how we all kind of come from a tree. We come from our own roots, and when we are coming of age, we kind of fall from that tree, and we can stay there and you know lean into where we're from, or we can roll away. We can kind of go in our own direction, and I kind of like that idea. With cider, too, you know, the way we make this cider, it's all local fruit. It's all being grown in Massachusetts, and we're making it a very traditional way. But we also kind of let the apples roll away sometimes. We kind of have some fun with, like, the ectoplasm. 
with this cider. Um, so I like the idea of the dichotomy of being traditional, paying attention to your history, but also being your own person or doing your own thing with the cider. So, yeah. Well, there you go. Thanks. And why Salem? Uh, so I kind of traveled around Europe for a while, but I found that when I was traveling, the winemakers and cider makers that I really admired were ones who were making something that they really loved that was from where they were from. I'm from Massachusetts originally, and I wanted to come back here and make something from the fruit that kind of grows from where I'm from. So I came back, and I really fell in love with Salem because I think it has such an interesting way of dealing with its history. It's got some great parts of history, some darker parts of history, but it's all about storytelling, and it's all about kind of sharing that experience together, and I just, I don't know, I love that. I don't That's <laughs> pretty cool. Yeah. I think we can all agree we love Salem. Mm -hmm. So I, I got a, so I was reading online, uh, you sort of, your bio, the, the history, and you got a degree in, uh, when you studied in England. Yes. And in what? Enology. O-E-N-O-L-O-G-Y. Which is? The science of winemaking. That's pretty cool. Yeah, and viticulture, so science of grape growing. So, I, yeah. I saw that and I was like, I have no idea what that is. <laughs> yeah, but some kind of weird doctor. For I was like, yeah. that's neat. No, no, yeah, it was a really wonderful experience. It was great learning there. Um, and in the summer, I would travel and do vintages throughout Europe. So I'd spend some time in Champagne, some time in the Mosul in Germany and in Bordeaux. Sounds, and, sounds tough. Oh, it was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I drank the whole time and eat delicious food. Um, but yeah, it was a combination of learning technical cider making and wine making and the chemistry, but also in the summer kind of jumping into the cultures there and um, learning what makes what drives those winemakers to make awesome stuff and trying to kind of steal it from myself. I, I think you stole, you stole well. <laughs> I'm trying, you know, still learning every day. Yeah. So. Can you tell us briefly, because I'm sure it is a long process, but from apples to pour, how is cider made? Sure. Yeah, it can be as simple or as complex as you want to be. It depends on how, you, how much you've decided to take on. Um, but if you are someone that wanted to make cider at home, it's very easy to get started. Um, I like to really encourage people to try to go get the apples themselves. Even around Salem, you'll notice there's hundreds of trees around here. Um, but you could pick those apples or go to a pick your own, get the apples. You have to grind them somehow. You can make your own like grinding press. I've seen people use um, garbage disposals, which is a little oh weird. But you've got to clean, got, right? Clean, yeah, yeah never okay. use, but you know, new from Home Depot or whatever. You have to grate them up, then you have to press them to get the juice out, and then you can either let it ferment, it will actually start to ferment on its own, or you can inoculate it with the yeast that you want. If you want it to go a certain style, kind of more like white wine or more like beer, you can kind of uh, steer that decision with the yeast that you, ch you choose. So you inoculate the juice, and then it's gonna turn into hard cider. The yeast is gonna convert the sugars to ethanol and CO2, then you'll have a cider at the end. You can drink it straight like that, bone dry, kind of purest form of it, or you can keep it going, you can carbonate it, you could add peppercorns to it, you can serve it on a podcast, do whatever you want to <laughs> do. But yeah, that's kind of the shortest way that I can explain it. <laughs> so we did get a chance to go down into the cellar so all of your... Uh, You're very courageous. <laughs> it was a little scary, but it was very fun. Um, any ghostly encounters down there? 
Um, no, but it is creepy down there. I, I mean, I love reading a ghost story, and I love like H.P. Lovecraft and, and doing that, but also like closing the book when I'm done. <laughs> I'm not very open to an encounter, but I think that someone that was more open to would be down there. It's, it was a slaughterhouse for many years. It's a 100-year-old building. It's all the ciders made underground there, so it's kind of creepy, but I'm not I, I thought it was great. <laughs> he did mention when they first got the place, the meat hooks were still in there, yeah. so. <laughs> no longer. No longer. I, I asked him if he kept any, just, you know, souvenirs. They said no. Because that's so. something Jeffrey would ask. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll give you one later. Oh, appreciate it. <laughs> appreciate it. I'll add it to my collection. Uh, so uh, we'd like to ask... Uh, everyone who comes on the podcast, some uh, specific, varied questions, uh, but one of our favorites uh, is a little Salem-related, little pop culture-related. Um, so for you here today, we're going to ask you, who is your favorite witch or wizard? Ooh. And this can be historical, uh, uh, someone who inspires you, someone yeah. who's Wiccan, who's a, a pop culture icon. Let um, it go. Does Professor Snape count? I, I was going to tell you, you can't choose Snape. So what? what oh, come on. Because of what, your name. I was gonna say, what, what's your last name again? Snape. Uh, <laughs> I, I think the story arc with that character is okay. phenomenal. So I really, really like that. I, I happen to have the same last name. It's a coincidence. You're just a little biased. So Snape, 100%. Yes. Very nice. Yeah. That might be a first. Have we had a Snape before? We have not. First for that. I think we've had a couple Dumbledores, but that's probably all we've gotten from Harry Potter. So last question, we mm -hmm. also like to ask everyone, do you have any advice to give? Um, I, have a, I don't know if it's good advice, um, but general advice from, I guess, what I've learned here the last 10 years. Um, if you're going to start a small business or start something new in a place, it's really cool to... Um, be open to the culture that you're moving into. You know, moving around Europe, it was so cool to see everyone doing things a little bit differently. Everyone processing their history in their own unique way. Um, but coming here, we kind of got started. I was just this little room in the back here. But as we grew, I got to know everybody that was living here. I got to know the whole culture. I got to know the stories here. You kind of can become a part of that. So starting a new business, starting a new thing, anywhere new is just being open to change and being open to kind of being a part of that. So that's been the most fun thing for me here is kind of growing and organically. I think that's my first encounter. <laughs> <laughs> so, someone's, someone's coming for yeah. you. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think just jump in if you're gonna do something new, yeah. There we go. Well, thank you, Al, so much for coming up here and taking a moment to sit down with us and share your perspective on Salem and Cider. And thank you again for playing host for us because, as we said, this is our first live show. And what better place could we have chosen to do it? Thank you so much for coming. It's really, I'm a big fan, and it's so cool having you guys here. So thank, thank you. Thank you. Thanks. We appreciate Drunk. you. Give it up to Al. One second. Whew. Okay, we can all go home. Just kidding. And also, I think we forgot to mention we have stickers for sale today. So during the intermission, uh, if you want to jump over to... Uh, the bags are for the prizes, so those are not for sale. Someone's going to win those. We have skull moss stickers. Where do you keep your ectoplasm stickers? And stay on the podcast stickers. 
if you want your official merch. Yay! Thank you. And you will go and see Kate at the front. Kate, raise your hand. She will be taking care of our merch today. All right. That being said, let's kick things off. We are like almost right on time. This is pretty good. So, So, Prohibition in Salem. So those who opened up the Salem Evening News on January 16th, 1920, would have seen this in the upper left-hand corner, warning everyone what was coming the next day. So we're going to go over a couple of these stipulations that people were dealing with. The manufacture of or sale of alcoholic beverages containing one-half of 1% of alcohol or more was off the table, completely unlawful. Also, places where liquor was sold, not going to happen anymore. Um, They were described as, quote, common nuisances. I don't think this is much of a nuisance. Um, I I see some nuisance-y people. (laughs) Prohibition enforcement officers were granted search and seizure powers with the exception of private dwellings, but that didn't necessarily stop them because unless if those uh, dwellings were being used for the unlawful sale of intoxicants or production of those intoxicants, they were fair game for those uh, prohibition officers. Liquor that was seized must be destroyed as well as any vehicles or other property that must be sold and the proceeds paid to the United States Treasury. So they were making a pretty penny off of this. Advertising liquor of any, t- any sort was completely prohibited, but what was allowed or permitted, the manufacture of ciders or of fruit juices in one's home for personal use. So like wine. Right. Al, we could, have, juice. we could go out and grab our apples and, and do it at home as long as it was 0.5% or less of alcohol. That's, that's not a lot. That's not a lot. Um, alcohol in the home was allowed so long as you could prove that the product was purchased before January 17th, 1920. The manufacture of alcohol for industrial uses or scientific uses was okay. And if doctors were to prescribe any alcohol, which they could. A little, a little dram of whiskey. Uh, yes, at one pint, actually. They were allowed <laughs> one pint per person per month. So if you do the math, you know, it's, it's not much. But if you bring in 200 people into the office, you can make some money off of that. And you are pushing out quite a bit of alcohol. Now, uh, manufacturers and manufacturers and pharmacists also had to keep a very detailed record. So if anyone is obtaining alcohol, they are definitely on the record and they can be sought after by those prohibition officers. And various penalties uh, for violations were put forth, the most severe of which being a $2,000 fine and two years in prison. That is roughly $30,000 in today's money. So uh, quick show of hands, who's, who's for that? Hard pass. Yeah, just crickets. 
So um, I am going to actually read uh, the amendment, and then we're going to talk a little bit about that. <clears throat> so uh, I'm going to get into a little constitutional law class after this. Uh, don't worry, it won't be incredibly boring or detailed, but uh, we will get into some of the hows and whys of the way this worked. But the 18th Amendment uh, comprises of three sections. I'll read that to you now. <clears throat> After one year from the ratification of this article, the manufacture, sale, or transportation of intoxicating liquors within, the importation thereof into, or the exportation thereof from the United States, and all the territories subject to their jurisdiction thereof for beverages, uh, <clears throat> for beverage purposes is hereby prohibited, because prohibition. Section two. The Congress and the several states shall have concurrent power to enforce this article by appropriate legislation. Section three, this article shall be inoperative unless it shall have been ratified as an amendment to the Constitution by the legislatures of the several states as provided in the Constitution within seven years from the date of submission hereof to the United States Congress. Who knows how uh, amendments to the Constitution work? Okay. Ooh, we got, we got some hands. Two, two or three people. I like it. So basically, uh, this comes before Congress. They vote, and uh, within uh, that time period, it has to be ratified by X percentage of the states, and the states say, yes, it is, no, it's not, it becomes uh, constitutional law, or it does not. And obviously, this does. It um, takes about 13 months for it to, to, to make its way through the states. Um, we have... Uh, the ratification on January 16th, Nebraska becomes the 36th state. We don't need all 48 states, 48 because no Alaska and Hawaii yet. Uh, Massachusetts is actually the 11th state. Uh, April 2nd, 1918, we ratify uh, that section in our legislature and check in the box and shortly thereafter um, it goes into effect. So on January 16th, 1919, uh, becomes the 36th state. We now have a ratified amendment, and one year from that point, it becomes constitutional law as proposed within the electoral procedure. Anyone confused yet? No? Okay, just a couple of you. That's fine. Don't worry about it. You can Google constitutional law on your own time. Uh, there are actually two states that reject this amendment, and that is going to be our neighbors to the south, Rhode Island and Connecticut. Both of them are like, yeah, you know what, bro? We're good, which is a little weird. So today, New England's got like a whole like pretty New England-y vibe uh, within the scope of this idea. We are pretty broken up. Maine is like all for prohibition. Massachusetts is, mm, depends on who you talk to. And then Rhode Island and Connecticut are like, yeah, no, no. we're good. Um, so what we have is it's going to go to a vote in the House and Senate. Like I said, uh, those things pass the amendment. Um, there are actually uh, 65 to 20 votes within the Senate, 65 for, 20 against. And um, interestingly enough, one of those 20 is a gentleman by the name of Mr. Henry Cabot Lodge, who's local to the area. Cabot Street? Cabot, Cabot Farms, Beverly the Cabot, yeah, uh, as in the Beverly Cabots. So Senator Cabot Lodge is from Beverly, and he is a staunch uh, advocate against 
the 18th Amendment. Not against drinking. He actually uh, says here, and I'm going to read a little bit. He gets up on the, on the uh, House floor and makes a big, long speech. I've got pretty much like half the thing here. I'm not going to read the whole thing for you. But he says, personally, I firmly believe that every human being would be far better morally, mentally, and physically if he never touched alcohol. Fair. But he also then goes on to say that it shouldn't be within their scope and purview to dictate how people make the individual choices. He says that by the entire uh, federal government mandating the banning of alcohol, we're going to face some big serious issues. And he's right. When you read his whole speech, it outlines pretty much everything that's going to happen over the next 13 years, which is kind of cool. Um, he says, you will entirely destroy the control of liquor traffic, um, now exercised by regulations and licenses. Multitudes of people will resent as a gross and tyrannical influence with personal liberty. You cannot hope to prevent the smuggling of liquor across our frontiers and immense coasts, where large mass of the people would consider it even meritorious, even to evade and break the law, I doubt you could have an army large enough to enforce it. We got Canada, the coastlines. He's like, what are you going to do? You really think you're going to stop people? He's like, no. And then what he goes on to say is that you're going to have people breaking the law by drinking the alcohol and breaking the law by acquiring the alcohol. And so the drinking of the alcohol, we can all agree, they could all agree, is a negative thing. But the breaking of the law to then do that now is encouraging people to break the law. And he just goes on and on. And it's actually a really great speech. And when you look at it, you're like, well, he hit the nail on the head. I was going to say he didn't even have the benefit of hindsight, <laughs> no, but he knew it was coming. He, he, he read the writing of the, on the wall. Um, but he was in a significant minority. And uh, the powers that be won the election. Now, interestingly enough, the election, excuse me, won the vote. Uh, the recently elected senators... Um, had only been recently elected, and not to get again too far into constitutional law. Um, I think we already went there. You know what, it's okay. Um, up until 1913, the elected officials in a state elected the senators of a state. After 1913, like we do today, we all cast our ballots and vote for our senators. That was not a thing until 1913. So there had only been a few occurrences where people could vote for these people, and one of the things that they were all running on that were on the ballot... Democrat and Republican, and even independence aside, you were either wet or you were dry. And that is obviously in... Uh, I see some weird faces out there. <laughs> That's truly how they described it. Yeah. And it was something that, that really superseded uh, political boundaries, political parties uh, across the board. You would stand up and go, like, yeah, sure, I'm Republican. I stand for all these things. Or I'm Democrat. I stand for all these things. But... And then your position on wet or dry... And uh, obviously, we are wet today. We are uh, drinking today. Uh, but the dry thing, you've probably heard dry counties, dry states, uh, places where you can't buy liquor or, or alcohol after certain times, before it's on certain days. Sundays. Sundays. And uh, some of that even predates this, this whole concept because uh, this idea of prohibition had been coming for, I mean, some, some could argue centuries uh, one of the first laws enacted uh, here in the greater concept of the Americas was here in Massachusetts uh, in the mid-1600s, a law against selling alcohol to the indigenous peoples. Uh, we were also one of the first states to introduce a ban um, on the selling and sale of alcohol in the mid-1800s. Uh, so it's not like this is any new idea. Uh, the ball had been rolling 
For a long time. For a while. Um, the people who were against this, and I'm 100% blanking on that word. Proponents? No. Op- opponents. T, T, T. What's that? It's not in my head. I will confer. No. No. I was like, I know that word. I'm not going to forget that. It's fine. Temperance. There we go. Oh, the temperance. Duh. Thank you. Uh, So the temperance movement was effectively this idea that alcohol and drinking is bad, that is going to, people die from it, they get more angry, abusive, domestics, uh, things along these lines, and that it is morally corrupt, it's destroying our society, it's destroying our economy. Destroying bank accounts was another argument. Uh, There was an advertisement, just like this one in Salem, in Ipswich, that calculated how much the country spent a day on alcohol and how many middle-class homes could be bought for the people of America in a day. They're like, oh, it's $3,000 every day, every, or sorry, every minute. My apologies, $3,000 every minute. So in a day we could buy, just think what that would do to the middle class, how, how everyone could benefit from that sort of stuff. Uh, but this temperance movement is politically based, religiously based. It has some supporters. It, it doesn't. It goes back and forth. But at the end of the day, temperance movement, dry, and we have the 18th Amendment. Now, might I just say, when we sat down to outline this episode, Jeffrey was so excited to talk about amendments and the constitutional process. And I looked at him, I was like, why? We're not talking about the Constitution, but you're right. This is kind of stunning when you think about it and you take a step back and you realize that the government is now dictating our substance com- consumption, which, I mean, we still have drugs that are listed, you know, you can't touch them, um, but alcohol, to be able to take it away from you with the amendment to the Constitution that had never been done before, and then, of course, to reinstate it as well. Cabot Lodge called it something, and I just, as you said that, it reminded me um, <laughs> we are dealing with what is perhaps the most deeply planted habit of human nature, drinking. <laughs> <laughs> but we, we have found uh, alcohol from e- Egyptian tombs, right? Like yeast that has yet to be fermented from millennia old uh, historic places. So it's not anything new. But um, so all this comes to a head uh, with prohibition. But I'm just going to talk uh, a little briefly about sort of where we are. Would you like to say? Oh, drop us into history. There we go. Thank you, Sarah. Drop um, us into Salem history. Salem history. And a little bit g- general consensus. So uh, if you are, are listening to the podcast, uh, fans of Salem, etc., 1914, got a big fire. Uh, if you are uh, up to speed on your American history, 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 we are rolling right into World War I. Um, now, this amendment gets ratified on, excuse me, gets uh, proposed um, 1917. That is before World, World War I ends. That is before the outbreak of uh, Spanish flu. But those things happen while all the states in those 13 months are ratifying this amendment. So even the ending of the war, even the outbreak of the Spanish flu, 
this is as high a priority on people's minds as, as those as those topics. And might I just add, the war actually contributed to the temperance movement. So part of the reason, part of the argument was, if you are no longer using the grain for alcohol, you can supply it to the soldiers. So. Mm-hmm. And, and then we roll into a little bit of Salem history. So for those of you, again, know many of you are local, like to come and like to visit, um, who's been to the Hawthorne Hotel? Opens 1925, middle of Prohibition. Uh, when that ribbon's cut, you're not selling, no champagne, no drinks, no beers, no clinking ciders. Um, Salem's founded in 1626, so 1926 is the, I'm going to screw it up. Tricentennial. Thank you. Anniversary of the city of Salem, 300 years. So FYI, a couple years coming up on 400. Uh, so that whole celebration is dry. There is any party, any mayors, any uh, celebration at all, no alcohol. And what's also pretty cool is uh, they do have some images from this, some uh, pictures down at the willows uh, in some of the parks. There's this big one, all these barrels that they then lit on fire. No drinks, no celebrating. Uh, well, that, that we fashion. know of. Legally, <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. Legally, there is none of this going on. Um, who's been to Pioneer Village over by Forest River Park? Cool, cool. Uh, that opens in 1930. So uh, America's oldest, what do they call it? Living History Museum. Thank you. Living History Museum. That opens during Prohibition. Uh, the Salem Willows Yacht Club opens 1913, so just at the end. We've talked about that before. Martha Brailsford's episode. Yep. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's all connected. Yes, that big board that we'll never actually make. Just talk <laughs> about making. No, we will. <laughs> we'll have enough of this cider, and we will. Yeah. Um, now, also, I talked about Henry Cabot Lodge. Uh, so the Cabot in Beverly, the Cabot Theater, opens in 1920. So pretty much right around this time. Uh, so if you want to get a picture of what Salem was back in the day, all these things are happening uh, during that time. So the 18th Amendment goes into effect, and of course, people are not exactly pleased, and so they start opening secret places to partake in this illicit illicit substance, one of which I think a lot of you are familiar with, a certain... um, Bunghole liquors. The bunghole. Who's been to bunghole before? Do we do we know do we know what a bunghole is? I was gonna say, Jay, you're right next to one back there. So, There's so my a- friend Jay in, in the historically accurate beanie over there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there is a, a, a cast. So if anyone doesn't know, it's the hole in the side of a barrel uh, is what the bunghole is, and this is either used for filling or emptying. Uh, adding air, taking out, etc., of these casks. We also used to, t- we talked about it during uh, Reverend George Burroughs' episode, too. Remember, he used to finger t- the bunghole? Finger the bunghole and lift it up with his hands. Right? He was such an incredibly strong man that he could just put his fingers in the bunghole and l- one arm carry the barrels. Barrels, might I add, of molasses off of the ship. That is clearly, I believe, unholy strength. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which or holy? Oh, they didn't think about that. <laughs> no, no, you didn't. <laughs> um, so, uh, who knows the history of, of, of bunghole liquors in downtown Salem? One, one. I'm surprised. Two. Love it. Here we go. Uh, history lesson, because that's why you're all here. Uh, so, a speakeasy is a secret place 
to get a drink, right? We all know that. That's the the term comes from speaking easy or quietly about the Blake. You don't want to. You don't. Today we're all like, yeah, Instagram going to far from the tree. Yeah, back then you'd be like, um, it is originally started as a funeral parlor. And I mean, maybe a few of us in here, probably only me, maybe who, who'd want to go have a drink around a bunch of corpses. Okay. There we go. There, there's a couple of us. Uh, I wouldn't be bothered. Uh, I think a lot of people would, but the idea here is this funeral parlor downstairs in the embalming parlor where all the dead people were became a speakeasy because no one's coming. Who's going to drink down there? The cops aren't going to come down there. It's full of dead bodies. No one wants to go down. It's a great cover. And to bring the liquor in, I'm sure you could throw it in a coffin maybe. Or uh, when you are doing uh, funeral processes, the embalming, all the chemicals, just label it hazardous chemicals. You're going to say put it in the body. No, but you need like, if you got, if you bring in gallons of formaldehyde, don't drink it. But if you like threw a sticker on some whiskey and was like, oh, this is formaldehyde officer. Right. They're not going to, you're like, well, let me taste that real quick. Yeah, no. So you could smuggle it in. Although speaking of smuggling, one thing they were not doing is bringing it through. Tunnels. tunnels. There we go. Someone <laughs> knew exactly where that was going. Uh, the secret tunnels. Although literally uh, some of the ghost stories from the history of Salem. Oh, did we actually get a bingo? Already? Shh, no. Shh. No, you, you don't call bingo. Just write the time of the bingo. Well, I think we got a winner. Oh that actually worked out good. Some Let it rip. We got one more. We got one more out there. Okay. Do you actually have a bingo? Do you have a bingo? Nice. You, okay. You, you. Yeah. So one more out there. We'll Seriously? walk away with some swag. <sighs> okay. So thanks for interrupting us. You're fine. Thanks, Sam. Um, so uh, what we have with, within the scope of what's going on is no smuggling of alcohol off the ships, although that's a narrative that a lot of people like to propagate because the wharf is right there. I was going to say, for those who don't know, Bunghole Liquors is located right on Derby Street, so I think if there were any tunnels, they'd be a little wet. Flooded. Anyone seen what happens at like high tide down there or super high tide? I have seen the water come all the way up to nearly the doors of that place. Where we, you're, there's, there's no tunnel. Guys, just knock it off. Not you. We, you're good. There's other people who need to knock it off. Um, now... You guys get it. Yeah, you, you get it. You're in the know. You're, you're cool. So within the scope of, of what's going on is everyone's down there. They're drink, drinking secretly, yada, yada. Prohibition ends. And the owner had been talking to some of his friends, and they're like, yo, man, why don't you open a liquor store? I don't know why it wasn't a bar, but fine, whatever. So uh, he changes his funeral parlor into a liquor store, and it has been such ever since. And I couldn't find, like, great confirmation on this, uh, but it's sort of generally said around town that they got actually the second liquor license uh, that was awarded after Prohibition ended. And it was said that it was uh, named by a Polish priest. So bunghole was the code word that you would use to get in there. And of course, it was what they were calling it. So, hey, meet me down at the bunghole. But it was a Polish priest, a a relative of the owner that suggested, hey, you should just call it the bunghole. So they stopped their funeral parlor things and transformed it into a liquor store. 
Now, obviously, a speakeasy like that. And there's there's also, like, speakeasies are cool again, right? We probably all know of, like, a, a bar that you have to, like, have a secret password or, or something to get into. Uh, they were also called sometimes blind pigs or blind tigers. Uh, and this is the idea that you'd go into a saloon or a, a billiards hall, and then you'd pay money to go see the secret blind pig in, in, on show in the back room, and you'd actually go back and, and have a drink. But the ticket would be into the room, not for the drink that you got when you got in there. Um, and the blind pig one I, I find interesting because there is also a pig-related speakeasy in Salem. Anyone know? One, one, one two, a couple people? Okay. <laughs> um, so who's, who's heard of Back Alley Bacon? I have, okay. I have not. There we go. So Back Alley Bacon is effectively a food speakeasy. Um, I don't know if they know that... They're, they just serve pork. It is just a pork-based secret restaurant. And I don't know if that is in reference to the blind pig speakeasy, but effectively, you have to get their secret password off of their social media. If the red light is on, you go up, you ring the doorbell, you don't place an order. There is one item of, uh, available. You wait about five, eight minutes. A guy comes out, by the way, wearing a full-on pig mask. No. Hands you a bag. You hand him cash, no questions asked, and you walk away. That's it. Light on, they're open. Find the password online. Go have, enjoy Back Alley Bacon, our secret pork speakeasy in Salem. Have you done this before? No. I, I wish I could have I don't believe yes. it until we do it, so. <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll get that done. We'll get a video of it. Sarah's reaction sure. to the man on the pig mask. Oh, 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 oh. Priceless. There we go. That's it. That's, that's, that's the money. Now, might I just add that there, back to bunghole, there are some tales of spookiness oh. underneath the uh, the main it. floor. I we haven't it. been able to corroborate any of these tales, but they do claim, the owners claim, that even to this day, if you were to rip down those walls, the drywalls downstairs, you would actually find embalming equipment still in there, as well as possibly some empty liquor bottles. So, of course, uh, because it was a funeral parlor, therefore, then there are dead bodies. Therefore, then it is haunted. Um, if, you, if you've listened to our episodes on, on uh, spooky haunted stuff, you'll know. I, I think I'm going to apply my same graveyard theory here. Uh, where they're being embalmed and, and entombed before they go get buried isn't where they died. That place isn't going to be haunted. I'm not saying no one's had an experience there. Uh, I've read online several people claim to have experiences, although several of the experiences are also haunted Cats. Um, this is also coming from the same people are saying the tunnels lead to the basement. Right, so so yeah, it, it is all gonna... within the same. Uh, I guess I read a story online, and I don't really want to give this too much credence, but I found it funny. Is a gentleman said that a, an employee of the, the place said that he was in the bathroom with the lights off and felt something brush against his leg. And uh, he goes and checks, and there's nothing in there. And he turns, Anyone ever just stand in the bathroom with the lights off? <laughs> No, just this guy? Cool. Thank you for the validation. Uh, I didn't think that was a thing otherwise. And again, who knows? It might be. It's Salem. Uh, it's Salem, and we're haunted, so. Again, plugging haunted pepper. Get some yes. before you leave. O only the pepper and the drinks are haunted. Well, that's good. Salem, where only the drinks are haunted. I think we're coming up on our intermission, aren't we? 
What time oh. is the intermission? Oh, we're five minutes early. That's fine. Okay. So we are going to take a short break. You guys are welcome to use the bathroom, grab another cider. When we come back, we're going to be diving into some primary sources from the period, specifically old newspapers from the 20s and 30s, and we'll see just how prohibition played out in this fine city. So, so yeah, uh, take a break, grab a haunted pepper. You, you can want. also get stickers. And thanks for listening. Not yet. Give everyone a chance to get settled. Hello. Am I, is that, yeah. All right, and we are back. Everyone have a good intermission? So are we doing a third bingo winner? I don't know. We could do like a third bingo winner, um, but I don't have the merch for the third bingo winner. So uh, how does everyone feel like, like playing and seeing if we get a third winner? Or did okay. yeah okay so uh, we we do not have the things for you here I will I will get them ordered and get them uh, sent to you uh, when whoever that third person is uh, successfully wins bingo um, can we make it harder how do we make it harder no let's not I don't know I want to make it harder that's that's what she said oh wait hold on hold on. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hold on. Hold on, Evie. Can I, no, you don't get up. Oh, let's, we, they got to make a shape. What, what, what should they do? Like an X? X marks the spot? Sure. Okay. Yeah, but that's like... That's tricky. That's... Oh, that uh, We works. could do like a, like a here, 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 here. That's a lot. Let's just do an X. An X. Okay. X marks the spot. Uh, so third and final bingo gets the X. But you're, um, you will not get the merch today. Yes. Sorry. And also a big shout out to one of our favorite and most loyal listeners. Can we give a round of applause for Carlin who put together this bingo game? <laughs> Carlin, raise your hand. Oh, she's like, no, I don't want to. There we go. And, and uh, Carlin uh, is a big bingo fan because um, uh, we've seen her at bingo on, on Wednesday nights when we go. So uh, it's, it's, a, it's a fun little, little thing. It's like an inside joke. Yeah. Also, if anyone's looking for something to do on Wednesday nights, bingo at Gulu Gulu is a wild ride. Let me tell you, the host... He puts us to shame. His, there is, a, is an energy that I... I, you just gotta, you gotta, you gotta experience this, this bingo man. Um, it's this bingo. It's a thing. It is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Most Wednesdays we, we try and go. So there we go. But back to the twenties. Nineteen. Twenties. Yeah. So this is the current twenty, other twenties, right? So I got through all my stuff, all my notes, etc., etc., etc. So intentionally annoying her. Now. I was gonna say this is my half. <laughs> 
So at the start of Prohibition, the majority of Americans, believe it or not, did adhere to the new law, but that did not last long, however, as the illicit sale and production of alcohol became a full-fledged business, as we talked about at Bunghole Liquors. Um, Those who spoke out in opposition of Prohibition cited the drastic growth of organized crime. Eventually, bootleggers and rum runners were rubbing shoulders with police and politicians. What, what's the difference? Between what? Bootleggers and rum runners. Tell me. Bootleggers are on land. Rum runners are on sea or ah, the water. Fun fact. There you go. Learn so, something new every day on sale on the podcast. The amendment had not diminished crime as they had hoped, but it, it had actually opened up a brand new sector for it. So as I said before intermission, we're going to talk a little bit about some of, uh, we're going to dive into these newspaper articles. And just a heads up, if anyone is interested in looking at old Salem newspaper articles, make sure you're in the right Salem because I spent a good three hours in Salem, Ohio, and that was not fun. And we all know how much I hate Ohio, so. That's also for, like, booking tours and trips. Yeah, that Uh, too. Make sure you're in the right Salem. I think we've both had that and talked about that issue before. Book a tour to, to Salem, New Hampshire, Salem, Oregon. Nope. So, Jeffrey, I want you to read this one he has not seen this, so this is blind. Um, I kind of want this framed because of how perfectly hilarious it is. So for those of you who don't know, one of Sarah's favorite things to do is surprise me with things and get my reaction. So this comes from the Fall River Globe, June 1st, 1923. <coughs> 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 Salem under... Oh. Jeffrey, I would like to kick this off by having you stop. <laughs> have you read a fabulous snippet from the Fall River Globe, June first? You weren't supposed to read that part. Well, then you you fold it. There. I begin. Salem under prohibition. It was perfectly disgraceful on Sunday to see the intoxicated men about the city, especially, oh goodness, in the Derby, front and Lafayette Street section. And the pitiable pitiable part of this is that most of them were not the typical old soaks, but well-dressed young fellows, boys in the face of many cases, in drunken condition, sick and miserable, making a disgusting spectacle of themselves as nature tried to relieve their poisoned stomachs. <laughs> How long must Salem bear the odium of being a notorious liquor-selling and law-violating community? Woo! At least another century. <laughs> here, here. So obviously Prohibition wasn't necessarily working, and uh, you live just off of Lafayette Street, yeah? That is correct. That is correct. At least they were dressed well. At least they were dressed well. Men in the face, or boys in the face, sorry. It reminds me of like a good night out, like college, university, right? Right, it sounds like a bunch of college kids. We've all been there, yeah? Uh, Have you been to Village Tavern? Yeah. (laughs) Mm. Just saying. Yeah, if you've also, I, I've seen, I've actually seen that on Essex Street. 
Yeah. People like walking out of Village Tavern 1.30 in the morning, literally puking in doorways on Essex Street. So um, Yeah, you know that fountain that's in front of Village Tavern? <laughs> Don't play in the water. You see kids playing in the water there? It's not a good idea. There's things in there. They don't clean it very often either. So if you've, so we're going to jump off of that. If you've listened to the podcast for more than a hot second, you've probably heard us talk about Salem being this bustling port city, welcoming in trade goods from all over the world. So it should come as no surprise that this harbor operated in a similar fashion during the Prohibition era, and it was used to usher in a lot of contraband goods. So one in particular, and this is probably one of the largest uh, seizures they had in a bit early, 1922, so about two years after Prohibition takes effect. On February 23rd, customs officials seized one of the largest shipments of contraband liquor brought to this country since the Volstead Act became law, which I don't think we mentioned. I didn't. I sort of skipped over all of that in my haste earlier. Uh You want me to interject? Sure. No, go ahead. Tell us why it's the Volstead Act. So um, because it was named after Andrew Volstead, who was... uh, Oh my God, I went to school with an Andrew Volstead. Really? Yeah. I don't think it was the same guy. I don't think You're so either. You're looking good for your age. Um, he's the head of the appropriations committee. That's wrong. Uh, doesn't matter. Anyway, um, so the amendment comes into place, but the Volstead Act is the enforcement and definition of the amendment. So like, there's no spirit or alcohol, and everyone's like, okay. What's the spirit? What's define it? How are you going to enforce this? What are you going to do? And it's uh, the Volstead, which outlines uh, the policing, the definition, uh, and, and all the things. The that fines, the punishments, everything like that. So the 18th Amendment, as I read, is what is illegal. The Volstead Act is, is how. And uh, by the way, uh, the president at the time vetoes the vote. He's like, yeah, no, this is ridiculous. Goes back to Congress, and they override his veto within 24 hours. So, serious business. Oops. So this, what you're looking at right here, is the Grace and Ruby, a schooner that made its way into Salem. It was confiscated. Well, it was described as, quote, a modern fishing vessel of graceful lines and fully equipped. She was engaged in fishing until a few months ago when it was reported she was sold, sent to the Bahamas after a cargo of wet goods. So she was seized just off of Baker's Island, and for those who are familiar with our coastline, say it's about a quarter, half, uh, half mile out, mile out. I don't know. I don't know. Um, but it's, you can, you can see it. You can literally see it. It's, if you look out into Salem Harbor, there's homes on there. There's no electricity, but people do have their summer houses. So she was picked up just around there, brought down to Boston where her cargo was unloaded. 2,025 packages of liquor, 18,000 packages of, quote, six bottles each, which we all know is a six-pack, wrapped in burlap, of course, trying to cover it up, 300 cases of gin and assorted liquor, all estimated to be worth about $70,000 or $1.25 million in today's money. That's, that's some dollars. That's a bit of money. So, of course, this is appealing. People want to get in on this. The day prior to the discovery, 
and what probably tipped the Coast Guard off to the Grace and Ruby was the presence of a liquor-laden motorboat in Collins Cove. Have we heard of Collins Cove before? Have you smelt Collins Cove before? <laughs> no, <Yeah>. some of you. <laughs> and if you have been around the city, when we talked about the tides going in and out, well, they got stuck on the mud flats. Mm-hmm. So for those of you who don't know, Salem has a very large uh, tidal uh, uh, difference. I think it's it goes like 12 anywhere, feet or yeah, something? Yeah, it goes from about 9 to 12 feet. So it's going to be about 12 feet tidal difference in, in your, your super moons and, and high tides, but it's on average about a 9-foot difference. So you can literally, everyone here, high tide, can be under 3 feet of water and 8, 12 hours later be standing on the beach. Maybe they just didn't know how shallow it would get? Like, you got to... Also, the, the tide goes out fast. That's so true. So maybe you're like trying to get those one or two extra barrels in and then you're scuttled and uh, someone's going to come at you with a bayonet. <laughs> wrong, wrong time period. So two truckloads, to be exact, full of liquor was confiscated from this motorboat, then transported down to Boston to join the rest of the liquor that they took off the Grace and Ruby by armed guard. Can you imagine two like fully equipped trucks filled with liquor. They had four armed guards per truck escorting them down. Like we all see, you know, armed trucks with banks trying to transport their money. But imagine cars and trucks full of liquor. And this is to the degree that it, they need to keep it safe, safe. <laughs> I was going to say, who's, where's that liquor going? Treasury. Yeah. The okay. Treasury. <laughs> okay. Sure. Some, someone's making some money there. Well, I did read one article where they mixed it with the sewer and shot it out into the Salem Harbor. So you never know where it's going to end up. The, the um, captain, a mate, and three witnesses were taken into custody for questioning, all pleading not guilty to rum running, of course. They were on their way to Nova Scotia, they said. Ultimately, the Grace and Ruby was released. She was able to continue her voyage up the coast. However, she was that was on a $30,000 bond and with only half of her cargo in tow. And one last fun note about this one, there were a lot of rumors that were swirling around the Grace and Ruby, one of which stated that when she left the Bahamas, she did not pay for the liquor that they took on board, so the owner of that liquor followed them in a, quote, flying boat. Do you know what a flying boat is? Hot air balloon? I, fly, I, well, like a fast boat? It's like a... That's what I thought. Okay. And I had to, like, type it into Google. It's just a, a airplane that lands in the water. Uh, I, I know there's probably, like, a <laughs> typical... There's a, a specific name for those, but... Yeah, yeah. So can you... And so I had this picture in my mind. It's 1922, and there's this schooner with tons of liquor heading up the coast, and here comes this old-fashioned airplane trailing after her, trying to get the liquor back. Hilarious. It, it wouldn't have been an old-fashioned airplane? Oh, no, it would have been, like, modern for the yeah, time. But, yeah, well, in my mind, okay, it's old-fashioned. <laughs> now, as you mentioned in part one, domestic violence was a huge reason why people were speaking out against alcohol consumption. One of the main arguments, in fact, because there was a correlation between 
alcohol, and violence. However, some women, like Lillian A. Keach of Salem, saw the opposite effect. Mrs. Keach recites her marital woes, as you can see. So she had married a doctor, and she testified that the husband drank more heavily during Prohibition. So prepare yourself. This is quite scandalous. I am, I am preparing. And rem- you don't have anything to prepare with. <laughs> now also remember that doctors had a bit more, they had easier access to alcohol because they were able to prescribe, remember, one pint per month per person. So they were readily bringing it in um, and dishing it out. She testified that she had received cruel and abusive treatment. They had been married 12 years and claimed he, quote, drank continually during their married life, but this habit becoming worse after prohibition. She mentioned that she had requested her husband discharge a Hazel Lyman, a girl who was employed in his office. Doesn't give much more detail than that, but like, mm, we can deduce. The secretary? Pretty much. Mrs. Keach claimed Dr. Keach went riding with other women, and when she complained, he told her it was his privilege and that she had the same right, if she so choose. She told of a quarrel in the doorway of their home, during which her husband kicked her, dragged her by the arm, and tore her waist. She also attempted to give evidence regarding her suspicions of the paternity of a child adopted by Dr. Keach. But, unfortunately, that testimony was excluded. Yeah. Obviously. Obviously. Mrs. Keach also claimed that when she went to the doctor's office on a Sunday night, she saw through a window a drinking party at which the doctor... Mrs. Lyman, another man, and his wife were present. She claimed that when she attempted to join them, the doctor pushed her down the stairs, kicking her in the process. She, at that point, started divorce actions, but Dr. Keach, as they usually do, promised to behave and effected a reconciliation. You have nothing to say. I got nothing on that one. Last November, according to her testimony, Mrs. Keach found the doctor and a young woman in a Beverly house after she had separated from him for the second time. She claimed her husband kissed the woman. She found a policeman and returned to the house, but the officer refused to act without a warrant. Mrs. Keach was under cross-examination at adjournment. So that comes from the Boston Globe, January 8th, 1926. Might I just ask, or might I just say, trying to find a police officer when you find your spouse kissing another person, I bet it was a different time, but I don't, I don't know if that would work at any mm, point. Probably not. Good, good luck. Then we move to November 15th, 1926. So, of course, you got to get a little um, creative in your alcohol consumption if it's not readily available. You want to. Exactly. Go I'm ahead not, and. Oh, oh, I got another yeah, one. Yeah, go ahead Wait, and read where, that one I, here. What can't I read? You want to just start oh, there? Okay. 
It's not nearly as it's just actual notes. <clears throat> November 15th, 1926. Boston Globe, in parentheses. Salem Journal. <laughs> it's literally just to antagonize you. I know. Salem drinkers find many liquor substitutes. Salem. That's part of the headline. Yeah, no, that's literally. Salem drinkers find many liquor no. substitutes. Make it. Oh, 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 oh. Okay, see, you should have. Just continue. That these are hard times for drinkers of liquor substitutes was proved to the police over the weekend on looking uh, over over the weekend. I don't like reading these. Now this you guys get a real glimpse yeah. <laughs> at how we deal with primary sources when we are recording. So normally, all this is cut out, and you don't get to hear it. Special treat. Over eight men who were arrested for drunkenness. Denatured alcohol. Al alcohol split? Ew. Alcohol split. Hair tonic. Cologne. Canned heat. Do you have any idea what that is? Yeah. If you look down, the note ah, is right there. There is, there, is, there is an addendum. There's no star, so I didn't know. Oh, good. Fuel. They're drinking gasoline. So have you guys ever, you know, seen those little canisters? You can pop the top off and light it, and mom or dad, Jane, you guys use them? Canned heat. People were drinking that. Can I finish? Yeah. Canned heat and other varieties of stimulants appeared to be the cause of the condition of those who fell into the hands of the police. There were array of wet goods, because obviously, was the most diversified exhibit in a long time. Hair tonic, cologne, and gasoline. Aren't you happy we're drinking cider tonight? Yeah, <laughs> uh, we appreciate you. Thank you uh, for not those, ew. I mean, I guess it's like when you're, when you're like a teenager and you're drinking like the cough medicine and stuff and yeah, yeah, maybe. That's probably a little safer than canned heat, but... I, right? <laughs> I, uh, gasoline? We should have put a disclaimer on this podcast live. Yeah. Anyway. Ew. So I'm as... stick to my haunted pepper. Exactly. Thank you very much. As prohibition continued, the business of producing and selling liquor only grew, and these crime rings began to include law enforcement officials. <laughs> there was a lot of money to be made, and this proved just too enticing for some. So you can see here. Oh, Salem Fire Captain? Damn, um, those, um, those firemen. On October Sorry. 20th. <laughs> For Go those ahead. of you who don't know, my brother's a firefighter, and he's sitting over there, so I was making fun of him. <laughs> anyway, continue. On October 23rd, 1930, the Boston Evening Globe published this shocking headline. The front page read, Salem Fire Captain Among 18 Captured in Liquor Raid. So that morning, police forces from Salem, Swampscott, and Marblehead had descended onto Wyman's Cove and Bessem's Beach over in Marblehead and made, quote, one of the biggest liquor seizures on the North Shore in years. So remember, this is coming in 1930. Prohibition has already been going on for 10 years. These crime rings are just at a whole different level than when we started. And also at this point... Uh, the uh, Great Depression kicks off in uh, October, November uh, 1929. So stock market crash, 
people are destitute, desperate for money. So that 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 it kind of makes sense. That extra money, which has sort of been on the table for a while, now all of a sudden is way, way, way more appealing. Nearly five hundred cases of the choicest liquors packed in burlap bags were seized. 14 men were held at the scene. Three trucks and three automobiles were also confiscated in the raid. Four four additional arrests were made, one of whom was Captain Edward W. Flynn, who had been working for the Salem Fire Department for 14 years and from all accounts was a well-respected man. So you can see him right here on the right there. Upon further inspection, they discovered an additional 600 cases of whiskey and gin hidden in the underbrush. Rough estimates put the loot at about $150,000 back then, roughly $2.7 million in today's money. So this, who, who would not want a cut of that? Any, anyone? And, no? I, and yeah. you also get to like drink a right? little bit. And you're like, oh, they're... 12 cases? No, there was only 10 cases. And I get an extra couple thousand dollars? Yeah, easy choice. So this was obviously not their first rodeo. These men were well organized and came from literally all over. The majority from Salem and Boston, but also Dorchester, Roxbury, Lynn, Gloucester, and Everett. So you've got this like well-formulated ring of people and you got to remember this isn't during the time of you know text messages or cell phones the fact that they were able to communicate and orchestrate this from all over is kind of crazy reminds me of uh what were we talking about a couple weeks ago we talk about a lot of things like february 26th leslie's retreat yes your birthday yes also that uh, but the organization that the, the, the Patriots had against the, the English and how well done that was. Yeah, right. Very similar. Um, but no, the, the North Shore was riddled with uh, all these, these sorts of rum-running schemes. You want to tell them about the lobsters? Absolutely, I want to tell them about the lobsters. Why do you think I talked about Leslie's Retreat? Also, we are... If you guys are interested, we are getting lobster costumes. So yeah, like a hundred percent, and probably now we'll be drunk lobsters as well because that's that's the way to do it. Um, so for those of you, if you who, who knows, like if you could visualize a map of the North Shore off the top of your head, anyone? Some of you, okay, cool, cool. It is inletted, rocky rivers, coastal inlets, islands, all sorts of things. I was flying back from um, uh, England last night. <laughs> I love the blood pressure. Bingo! Thank you. Um, I already I did it earlier already, so that's okay. Um, but as I literally, I'm flying over uh, uh, Gloucester Newburyport. Like I, could, I was looking down, and I spent some time on the plane doing some uh, extra research. But I was looking at all these little islands and inlets, and I was like, man, like this is dead easy to rum run in, to to sneak around an island, to hide stuff on an island. Or, as we get a report out of Ipswich, of people hiding alcohol in lobster traps. So there'd be coded messages sent over, like, the, the radios, and you could place orders. And the lobster trap would then be dropped in the middle of the night by a large ship, and the lobster fishermen in their small ships would come by, and they'd get 15 crates of lobsters and three orders for alcohol and, and liquor that had been dropped overnight. 
in the lobster in the lobster traps. Trap. Yeah. So there you go. They, they were they were clever. They were clever. So if you see us in lobster costumes trailing behind us, lobster traps with liquor in them. Well, we got like eye patches and like bunghole liquors. This is like a thing. My birthday next year. So we're gonna make bunghole. it a thing. Yeah. <laughs> go listen to like the Lessons Retreat episode if you want some reference on what we're talking about. For those of you who might not have, and you'll understand a little better. So we are moving towards the end of Prohibition, the 21st Amendment. You don't need to do the whole constitutional spiel they, they, again. They know how it works now? Yeah, we all know how it works now. December 5th, 1933, after almost 14 years of this dry experiment, the 21st Amendment was ratified, and thus came the end of Prohibition. You'll see in the Boston Globe, December 7th, 1933. Actually, I think I'm going to have you read this one, too. Can you, can you, you good? Did just from just here there. Down. Serving in Salem, legal liquors returned very quietly yesterday to Salem. Business was brisk in the place. Uh, places. Places which bad, probably had. Which, yeah, had. Which had a supply on hand, and there was no disorder. Only one arrest was made, but the man arrested, according to police, was a... <laughs> shocking. <laughs> was a regular, whose drunkenness was in no way attributed to the repeal. <laughs> We've still got some of those. <laughs> oh, only six places were serving. Three restaurants, one hotel, and two package stores. Fifteen licenses were distributed of the 44 allotted to the city. So I can't verify this. I mean, I'm sure we could if we tried, but I would venture to guess that that one hotel would be... The Hawthorne. And one of those two package stores would Was be... the Bunghole. Uh-huh. Now that same day, the Salem Evening News published a fabulous front page editorial on the matter. So we'd shown you that, uh, that warning stipulation that came in the Salem Evening News right before Prohibition took effect. Of course, we're going to see one as it comes to a close. The return of legal liquor to the state is hilariously celebrated by the wet brethren. Whether all of them will feel like shouting after the new law has been enforced for a time remains to be seen. Can we, can we, can we t-shirt the wet brethren? I think we can. <laughs> That's, I like Say that. on the podcast like live 2023. The governor has issued a warning to over-enthusiastic celebrators that flagrant disorder or unusual accidents on the highways will merely cause a revulsion from the public sentiment that has brought about this great change. May this warning be observed will be the hope of all good citizens. Now we shall see whether people will show any more self-control than they used to. If the old evils of drunkenness return, there will be a powerful demand for some different plan. Let's wait and see. There, uh, so within the scope of prohibition, uh, the criminal behavior, the uh, drunken disorderly, the, the, the deaths by uh, alcohol, abuse, intoxication, 
uh, whether that's liver failure, alcohol poisoning, uh, domestic violences, did see a very significant drop uh, after uh, the 18th Amendment. Um, but the crime that then came in its place uh, and we all know Al Capone, right? Organized crime, mobsters, all these things. Uh, that's a serious increase in crime. But even after the 21st Amendment dropped, uh, there is not a massive skyrocket in either crime or the consumption of alcohol. I think I see 21st Amendment there. Yes. Are you going to read us the... Um... I will read the 21st Amendment. <clears throat> Three sections, just like the other one. The 18th article of amendment to the Constitution of the United States is hereby repealed. Literally, that simple. Section 2, the transportation or importation into any state, territory, or possession of the United States for delivery or therein of intoxicating liquors in violation of the laws thereof is hereby prohibited. So that's saying that you can't go against the laws that they had. Uh, section 3, and just like any amendment to the Constitution, this article shall be inoperative unless... Uh, it shall have been ratified as an amendment to the Constitution by all uh, conventions in the several states, as provided in this Constitution within seven years from the date submitted hereof. Now, interestingly enough, uh, with the 18th Amendment, it all had to be voted by the state legislatures and therefore ratified. Uh, the governorship, uh, whatnot, could just ratify. They made a, an amendment within this amendment that they didn't have to go to a, a full election in the state. They could just... Uh, 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 agree or disagree with the amendment in, in, in the state without having to go to the full legislature. Legislation, legislatures. Anyway. There you have it. We go from being a wet country to dry to wet again. And these amendments are, are strange. I think we only have 24, right? Um, so we haven't really had any constitutional amendments in any of our lifetimes. Arguably, there is an approval, uh, 27, thank you. Uh, there's an approval of a ratification of one that happened in the early 90s that dates from the 1700s. That's neither here nor there. Uh, this is the only amendment, uh, the 21st, that repeals another amendment. And uh, that amendment is really the only amendment that blocks uh, anything of the American people. So with that, we do want to issue a sincerest thank you to all of our listeners this past year, not just you guys, but everyone out there who will be listening to this after it drops. Uh, yesterday officially marked our one-year anniversary since we started. <laughs> Did not think we were going to be doing this, so this is pretty cool. Um, and I can honestly say this podcast and your, more importantly, your response to it has exceeded all expectations. Together, we have accomplished a feat Jeff and I did not know was possible. Um, in our first year, the podcast has seen more than 150,000 downloads, which is just insane. And that's just, that's just downloads. So who knows how many people are out there listening. Listen to, over, listen to in over 50 countries. So from the bottom of our dark hearts, thank you so much. We would like to also cheers to our hosts, Far From the Tree, for presenting us with the perfect place for our first live show. Everyone, please hang out for a little bit. Uh, tip your bartender very nicely and enjoy the rest of our uh, time here. I'm not, I'm not done. <laughs>
You're not done? Not quite. Well, like a okay. few things. Okay. Okay. Sorry. Um, did anyone get the X on the bingo? <laughs> no? Okay, hold, hold on. Hold on. Say something. Puritan. Yeah. Booze. Boston. Okay, hold on. My turn. Salem. <laughs> what? Exactly. Uh, economy. Basically. Ah, come on. Can we give up? Witches. Speakeasy. <laughs> say it. What? He said. Oh, I have to say it. Do we have Wait, the X? X? Do we have the X now? Oh. Speakeasy? <laughs> Tunnels, booze. Interesting. Literally. Yeah. <laughs> Come up and see us at the end. Okay, there nope. we, was that it? Okay, cool. Uh, but with that, hold on, a uh, couple things. No, 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 no. Sorry, no, no, no. I'm so sorry, Roy. I told you to play it. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. We've got things to do, Sarah. I know. Um, Just pause. Who, who got the bingo? If you could come up, the, the, the two people who got the actual bingo. Sorry, the ex person has to stay, stay back there. Yeah, because I can't give you any. I mean, you can come up. No, all three bingo players come up, as well as who got the best dressed. Oh, yes, who got this pin? Come on, come on, come on, come on. Come on up. Give it up for Questions? Anyone? Anyone at all? Anything? Are we going to the tunnels next? Yes. <laughs> you can go into the tunnels us all night. <laughs> Mine? Yeah. April 15th. And I am going right now, so yeah. if anyone wants to come take a tour, let me know. For me, wait till April. Anything else? What? There are no tours of the tunnels. <laughs> Do not Google te Salem Tunnel Tours. That tour doesn't exist. Why? Because, because the tunnels, no tunnels don't exist. So the guy who used to do the tours of the tunnels can't do his business because there are no tunnels. May I also just add, I looked really hard to find tunnel rum running, bootlegging. There was nothing, nothing in the newspapers. So. But, but you can go online and buy a Salem Tunnel Hunters t-shirt from us if you want. Uh, <laughs> love you. Thank you. Anything else? Any questions? Yes. We tried. We tried not to look I, at them. I so uh, Carlin sent us an email with the layout, and I was like, I am not. I'm not going to look at this. Um, I I do know uh, some of my friends literally. <laughs> <laughs> Point the things that they're like. Oh, I was like, God damn it! Narrative. It's <laughs> like. Did uh, you? Say, I don't think you said that. Oh! I did. I did that almost intentionally. Um, but I, I've, I've said narrative before, and people are like, oh, really? I'm like, God, knock it off. So. Any others? Hmm. So, like, are you asking for an after party right now? Uh, I'd say all souls. Yeah. 
Yeah. All Souls. R.I.P. Opus. I don't yeah. even go there anymore. Sorry. We'll see. The underground. I do love this, but I like the spicy ectoplasm. I like the, I like the cake of the ectoplasm. Yeah. But this is fabulous. Yeah. But uh, Haunted Pepper, get another drink. We've got um, 20 minutes. No, they said, Roy, how long? Whenever we want. Whenever okay. we're ready. So, um, uh, just playing enjoy, it by ear. Hang out if you want to come up, uh, get a picture, talk to us. Uh, remember, we got uh, stickers for sale. Other than that, thanks for listening. See you later. Cue the music, Roy. Oh, yeah, now it's the music. <laughs>